We called him Roach. He sat in the palm of your hand. No bigger. And I called him a he because he behaved like a he. When in fact, he wasn't a he. Roach was a 10 by 15 centimeter Lego board with two wheels either side of the longer side. And at the front, two eyes, which were cradled above a stabilizing wheel. Now, the eyes weren't realized. They were photoreceptors. And the left photoreceptor was wired to the motor of the right wheel. And the right photoreceptor was wired to the motor of the left wheel. Now, what that did was have a strange effect. When you put Roach on the floor of the lab and shone a torch at him, as we had to do for the thesis of my artificial intelligence degree back in 1995, that what Roach would do was actually, with a little bit of tweaking, follow the torch. So if you move the torch to the left, Roach's right wheel would turn and Roach would move to the left and then move forward. And with a little bit of coaxing, Roach would actually follow a torch around the lab. Now, interestingly, if you were to switch the behavior and switch the wires the other way around, so you took the left photoreceptor and attached it to the left wheel and the right photoreceptor to the right wheel, the opposite behavior would happen. Whereas before Roach was now tracking and following a stimulus, now Roach was avoiding it. Roach was behaving the kind of behavior that you see cockroaches demonstrate when you turn on the lights and they scurry for the darkness under cabinets and under chairs. Now, what have we learned from this? Well, there is a theory called emergent functionality, which basically says that you can get very complex behaviors from a very simple formula. Roach was not in any way alive or intelligent, yet it demonstrated semi-intelligent behaviors. And therefore, we feel we anthropomorphize those behaviors and we feel like they're alive. In the same way, those robotic vacuum cleaners get names that their owners give them. Ours is called Robbie, Robbie the robot vacuum cleaner. And all of their masters give them names because they, they demonstrate, emanate these emergent behaviors, which are very simple algorithms and yet appear to be human, animal-like and complex. So this raises the question of what intelligence is anyway. According to the Turing test, which was the test designed originally for chatbots to ascertain whether something could be intelligent, the ACID test was whether the object could not be discernible from a living object. It appeared intelligent if it displayed intelligent behaviors. There is no biological definition of intelligence. Intelligence is merely a set of behaviors which have evolved and adapted to help the organism survive. That means that those organisms that reproduce with more intelligent frameworks can survive and reproduce more. So you get this Darwinian selection that we can go from a single cell protozoa to a complex human being as a result of Darwinian selection. Intelligence is not consciousness. It doesn't exist outside of the biology. So in that respect, 
Roach is intelligent because it looks like it's behaving intelligently. It's intelligent if we say it looks intelligent, not because it has some kind of biological or uh, some kind of metaphysical capacity or behavior, which we call intelligence. But what are the real cockroaches? Well, you can't ask a cockroach if it's actually intelligent. So we have to assume it's intelligent because it's behaving intelligently. When you turn on the light, the cockroach scurries for cover. And when you put out food in the trap, it senses it in the same way that the artificially intelligent roach behaves in, in a similar kind of way. And yet, okay, it's, obviously it doesn't have as many complex algorithms, but the behavior at the base level is the same. Attracted or averting stimuli. So what about this consciousness thing? Well, is a real cockroach conscious? We don't know. And in many ways, it may actually be a distraction. And the reason I brought this up is because we think of ourselves as human beings as conscious. You're listening to me now and you're processing thoughts and you have a conscious understanding of the self. And I am not you and you are not me. However, that understanding of consciousness is hard to define. It doesn't exist as a biological a phenomenon. Consciousness may actually be no more than an epiphenomena. In, in some ways, like, you know, when you turn on a fridge, it hums. The fridge gives out that whine or that sound which never goes away. And, and that is the sound of a machine working. It's not the machine. The machine wasn't built to hum in the same way that your computer was not built to were, it just happens to be an epiphenomena of the workings of the machine in the same way that consciousness may be, in fact, an epiphenomena of our brain. So when we try to define consciousness as this metaphysical thing that distinguishes us from machine, in fact, that may not be the case. That Consciousness may arise from the machine's workings and calculations as it becomes more and more complex. So think about that, that in the human brain, there are more neurons and neural connections in one centimeter cube of gray matter than there are entire stars in our galaxy, in the Milky Way. Think of that in one centimeter cube, billions of neural connections. And the average human brain is about 1,800 centimeters cubed, cubic centimeters. So what that means is that there are 1,800 galaxies of stars in our brain. That's how complex this thing is. And we're nowhere near that kind of level of complexity with the physical computer. So it makes sense that the physical computer is not producing any kind of conscious behavior just because it simply isn't complex enough. It simply hasn't got to that kind of level of activity that produces this epiphenomena or hum. You know, the fridge wasn't designed to hum. 
but it, it hums as a byproduct in the same way that the more and more complex that AI becomes, the more and more it may produce this byproduct. And we can't, at this level of understanding, manufacture that because we don't fully understand how the brain works. You know, a lot of our analogies and understanding of the brain derive from outdated analogies and frameworks. We still think of the brain as a computer. And, we, you know, the computer is built on binary, on logic gates, zero and one. And yet the brain doesn't work like that. The brain works in maybes. There aren't a lot of zeros and ones. There's a heck of a lot of maybes in our brain. So it needs us to rethink about AI and intelligence, not as a computational challenge, but potentially as a biological challenge. And what I mean by that is there are many aspects of artificial intelligence and many fields. It's not one area. There are many approaches to artificial intelligence because there are many ways to view and define intelligence. In the same way, if I was to describe to you the elephant, an elephant simply by holding my hands like the fable of the blind men on the trunk of the elephant, I would describe to you the elephant as a long object with bumpy, rough skin and maybe hair and maybe malleable and flexible, but that's only because I see this aspect of it. And in the same way, a lot of our understanding of AI is defined by our computational analogies. And you know, the actual original computer itself was built on the mechanical jacquard loom, the loom that weaved fabric. And now, if you think about it, we've inherited our understanding of artificial intelligence from a mechanical loom because the artificial intelligence that we talk about now in, in the analogies of computation, and that's why everything is about machine learning, has been defined by our understanding of textile weaving. What I mean by that, if you talk to any coder who has a deep understanding of machine code, which is the base level of operations of a computer on which modern languages such as C or Python sit. Below this is a machine code of which all languages are translated into. And the machine code works in systems which were defined by the original mechanical looms. The machine code works in pop and push and pull and a stack. And the stack originally was a stack of cards, which physical cards were stacked up with punch holes in them. And in those punch holes were the designs of the fabric for the bobbin to be flung backwards and forwards in the loom. So what has defined computation and now artificial intelligence was actually the same worldview and mindset and framework that defined mechanical weaving. And now it's time for a change because that framework was designed and used for very simplistic patterns. But as we understand now, the brain is not a computer and therefore artificial intelligence isn't necessarily going to be defined 
by our understandings of the computer. When we talk about neural networks or evolutionary computing, we're defining artificial intelligence according to biological and evolutionary concepts. And these may be extremely complex, but yet the behavior may be complex, but the underlying formula is very simple. Evolution is defined by survival of the fittest. Those that survive the longest can reproduce the most. It's simple. And yet that produces extremely complex behaviors. It can produce the behavior of speech or storytelling in the human being. It can, be, it can produce the, the complexity of a leaf or the eye of a fly. It comes from very simple behaviors. This is the law of emergent functionality. And if we fully understand artificial intelligence, we have to understand that we're intelligent for a reason. We aren't intelligent because that is somehow what defines us as human beings. Every animal, to some degree, is intelligent. It's not a function of consciousness. Consciousness is an epiphenomena of the intelligent workings of the machine. We're intelligent for one reason, and that is to survive for protection and procreation. He who, she who is most intelligent is more likely to survive and procreate. So when you look at AI systems today, we have to think about how far away we are from the brain. The brain is a a magnitude more complex and capable than any AI system or even quantum computing today. You know, AI systems today need thousands of cat images to figure out what a cat actually looks like, where natural intelligence doesn't. You know, in the AI models, it takes approximately a thousands, thousands, a minimum of a thousand watts of energy to successfully understand and recognize a cat, whereas the brain simply needs 20, which means that the brain is 50 times more efficient than AI today, the most complex and most advanced AI. And it's become like that because we've had this inherent need to survive. So if we are truly to build intelligence, we also need the need to survive. If we want to create intelligence, we also need biology because the two are fundamentally inseparable. We can emulate the learning mechanism with neural networks, but the key distinction here is that the laws are arbitrary. We get to play God. We train the model on our data sets according to our rules as God. And ultimately, this has a limitation. We only know what we know. And intelligence exists as a response to an undefined problem, which failing to solve that problem could result in death. And those that survive, survive long enough to hand down their model, their, their algorithm 
to future generations. This is biology and this is real intelligence. Some call it NI, native or natural intelligence. And for AI to truly reach its potential, it has to be less A and more I.